Welcome back to the podcast for episode number 77, this time with Eric Trexler. Eric's pretty much a supplement expert, so he's going to talk to you about what supplements are most overhyped, what really works, uh, a pretty in-depth discussion here, and then we're going to get into 80s Hollywood action movie muscle, why it disappeared, why it's back in the form of The Rock and uh, Marvel superhero movies, and a whole lot more. Hopefully you stick around and enjoy. We finally did it. We went to the dark side. We decided to become aligned with someone and try to sell ourselves and become a legit podcast by having some sort of sponsorship. Now, for all of you who kind of know us through this podcast, you know that we probably don't take it lightly that we we want to be authentic. We want to support the industry and we literally don't want to promote something that we literally wouldn't use ourselves and something we don't really believe in. And we kind of had a unique opportunity because I personally know the owner of Stronger Experts and he called me and he basically just laid it out there. He's like, if you guys want to promote this thing, it'll help me. I think you'll really like what we're doing and you guys will get a kickback. We literally give you guys 20% off and because if we refer you, we essentially get a kickback from that. So in, in a roundabout way, you're supporting our podcast, but really it kind of just makes us a little bit more legit. and. A little bit about Stronger Experts is that they are essentially an online platform that hosts literally like, I want to say like 50, not 50%, but 50% of their coaches that do live presentations, that have live content, that have slideshows, they have tests, they have everything you can kind of ask for. They're, half of them are like literally aligned with our podcast. We have guys like Mike Isertel, um, Alex Viata, we have Greg Knuckles, we have Dr. Mike T. Nelson and a bunch of future guests that we have lined up. And literally, if I'm looking at this list, there's like, I want to say like 20 coaches on here. And the cool thing is, it's like 365 bucks a year and you get two CEUs from the NSCA. So legitimately for like less than it would cost to go to a seminar, you literally have like, there's too much to count. There's way too many hours on this thing. So I'm not going to promote it too much and say that like, oh, this is the best thing ever, but like, this is a cheap way to get CEUs. It's a cheap way to get the actual content. A lot of these people are charging $400 a seminar for, and it's a good deal and it's online and you can do it on your own time. And honestly, I support them. Like Stronger Experts is legit. Um, all the people that they have are legit and they're not putting out shit information, which, you know, Andrew and I hate, and they literally are doing things the right way. And if there was one thing I was going to attach my podcast to, it had to be something where A, I like the guy running it, B, we get a kickback from it so that it helps our podcast, and C, it helps align us with people that truly are doing things the right way and the way that we would want to do things. So without further ado, we're sponsored, we want to promote it, and Stronger Experts is legit. Go check it out. If you use our code, the Fit Devil, so Fit Devil, no caps, you get 20% off. And if you do that, it supports us. So if you were going to do it, do it through us because you help us out. Peace. Enjoy the podcast. Shut up and sit down. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. So when Greg Knuckles asks you to bring a guest on, it's probably going to happen. Greg, uh, 
Greg's opinion counts for a lot. So, um, but good news is I had already earmarked an episode to talk with Eric Trexler anyway. And Eric is the director of education at uh, Stronger by Science. And here's hence the connection to Greg. And he has a PhD in human movement science uh, from a medical school at UNC. He's a pro natural bodybuilder and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. So before getting to meet in person, because I'm going down to Spokane in April. I was going to say August. I don't know what, where that came from. April. And we'll actually meet in person. But we want to get you on the podcast, uh, talk a little bit about the conference, and just ask you a bunch of questions about bodybuilding and supplements. So uh, welcome, Eric. It's great to have you on here. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, I've listened to your show several times, so it's cool to be on. And uh, I, I want to apologize. I don't know how high def my camera is, but my beard right now is just horrible. It's perfect really gross. because mine's really shitty too. And we don't do the video. It's just like, it's so much easier to interact in a podcast when we can see, because then I can see when people are lying. Oh yes. <laughs> perfect. Um, so yeah, you two are the only people that have to deal with it then. I know yeah. sometimes people like put their podcast on audio and then they like put it on YouTube too. Um, so that's good. I've just been, I've been writing a ton. And trying to get a bunch of projects finished, so I've completely let myself go. Well, I was gonna say, um, how new is the? Because I remember Greg posting it, but it's kind of a big announcement. But like, how new is this role with Stronger by Science? Uh, it's quite new. Uh, so it, basically, this is the first month. Uh, I finished my PhD in December, started up January first, and uh, so that's thirty-one days ago. Uh, but so far, so good. They they scooped you up, essentially. They absolutely did. You didn't yeah. you didn't uh, want to stay in school? Teach? Um, <laughs> what, yeah. ten years, it, it, ten years straight in universities as a student uh, can take a lot out of you. But um, no, I mean th there was a point I, I was looking at some professor jobs and, and looking at other stuff too. But uh, Greg and I actually became very close friends toward the end of my PhD, and it just it made a lot more sense based on my interests and. Um, based on our friendship, it was like, it would be silly not to, not to start working together. Well, you're going to be able to teach a lot more people in a lot broader sense. And, and hopefully as, as your career explodes, uh, make a lot more money than what academia would pay you. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that is like a, a thing that people don't realize is <clears throat> a lot of the journals that we publish in the readership is actually tremendously low. You don't really get you, you like work so hard on these studies. You're like, I can't wait for the world to see them. And then you look at like the number of downloads and you're like, oh, so nobody saw it. OK, <laughs> like that's fine. But well, yeah, I mean, publishing in on, on more traditional website platforms, it just gets to so many more people. Well, it's kind of like where we started with the podcast. We figured like, I know if we get like 30 or 40 listens in our first few episodes will be great. And uh, no, things actually took off a little bit from there. So uh, we got to add it up. But I think uh, our top episode is pre pretty much creeping up on 10,000 listens. That's not that's not the average. That's the best. So he Lee pulled that one off. But uh, we've been doing pretty good. Well, it's basically like I would rather instead of actually going and looking at a study, I'd rather just watch, like go read mass and then go kind of sift through it after that. And I think that mass probably gets more views than a lot of studies. Yeah, I would assume. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I'd have to think so. Like, there's yeah. no way. Like, a lot of these great research reviews, like Weightology, James Krieger's work, uh, you know, I know James is getting more and more traction in the industry all the time because it's great stuff. So, yeah, it, it makes more sense than just confining it to traditional journals. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Let us get into some questions. So... What are you pointing at? Tell my dog to go. She... <laughs> it's like you're confusing me. All right, so a, a good coach and an informed fitness enthusiast knows that supplements only matter when the important stuff's covered. Um, what should people focus on first before the supplements? And why do people tend to reach for the supplements first? 
Yeah, I mean, supplements are – it's very cliche because a lot of people have highlighted this in the past. But they're a very small piece of the overall puzzle. Um, I would say basically the smallest piece. So um, whatever your fitness goal is, let, our, let's just assume get stronger, put on muscle, get leaner, generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, training has to be the biggest overall portion of that. Um, training is a huge – contributor to achieving any of those goals and without training even if you're on a diet that's you know high in protein you've got all your macros correct you're just not going to put on muscle and strength it's not going to work so you got to have your training in place it's got to be thoughtful training it's got to be implemented well with a decent amount of effort um, you got to be eating the right amount of calories for your goal which might depend on if you're trying to get bigger or get leaner you want to make sure your macronutrients are distributed appropriately carbs fats and protein and alcohol. Um, <laughs> now, once those are figured out, now you start getting into, you know, you're training hard, you've given it some time, you, you know, you're eating correctly for your goals. Now, what are some things that can give you just a little boost on top of that? And that's where supplements come in. Now, why people go for supplements first, I, I think there's all these goals, gain muscle, gain strength, get leaner. They're important to us, but they also require a, a pretty substantial sacrifice on your part. You know, it, it's investing quite a bit of time and quite a bit of sacrifice into making those things happen. And the allure of supplementation is that it's so accessible, so easy, tremendously convenient. So um, w when you tell somebody, hey, you just put this powder in your, you know, first glass of, of water in the morning, and it's going to help you get bigger and stronger and, and perform better then that, that's a really appealing thing to a lot of people. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times people fail to contextualize where that fits in with the more important factors. It's kind of like all the ad magazine advertising. That I mean, I certainly grew up on bodybuilding magazines, and you see all the top 10 Olympia bodybuilders you know, in, in competition photo shape who are talking about how these muscle tech bars or... Uh, whatever post-workout drink is what got them jacked. You know, all natural, bro, of course, is the joke. The muscle tech creatine, I remember. Because remember, wasn't it just sugar and, like, creatine? Fuck, what was it called? Celtech. Celtech. Yeah, yes. That's what it was, yeah. But, like, it's one of those things where, like, honestly, I bet a lot of the people knew it was shit. They're just like, I don't know, it tastes... Oh. You almost get conditioned to just take it. I don't know. Like, I still take pre-workout. and I, If someone was like, hey, what's in it? That's, I'd be like, don't worry about it. I just do it. <laughs> Is that bad? I, I actually, I had forgotten about Celtech. Yeah. Now that you mention it, back in the day, people would use that as a euphemism for yeah. being on steroids. Yeah. You know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, he's taking Celtech. And they had like the, um, the container was like really like vibrant and had all the freaking designs on it. And it was just sugar and creatine. I, if I remember correctly, like, I can't. Or maybe it was just BCA. I don't know. So I've actually got a good question for you. This this is something I just thought of. But <clears throat> when you combine creatine and caffeine into pre-workout supplements, because obviously creatine is a substance that pulls water into the muscle cells, and caffeine is actually a mild diuretic, is there like how do those two play together when they're combined in something? Some people have said that they actually fight against oh, each man. other, or do they actually really matter? He's like, man, do you have an hour? Uh, well, no. So that was essentially the premise of my master's thesis research. Well, perfect oh, guy wow. to talk to. See? <laughs> wow. So I didn't we, know that. We, no, we tried to secretly add it in and pretend like we didn't know. We knew. Yeah. We just take know. the credit for doing rigorous background <laughs> research before the podcast. So you tell us, man. Um, 
We usually do, but I, mean, I didn't get that far deep, so. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, creatine is going to get absorbed by the muscle whether or not you're taking caffeine. Um, caffeine is a mild diuretic, um, but its diuretic effect seems to kind of dissipate over time. It, it's mild in the first place, but it also seems to get milder as you become more of a habitual caffeine consumer. Um, but yeah, so, so you don't really, no matter how much caffeine you're throwing in there, the creatine will still get in the muscle and it will still be stored with water, uh, with it. Um, now whether or not they interact with each other or contradict each other is a much more complex conversation that has very little to do with water, but very much to do with either muscle relaxation time or even just the gastrointestinal effects of consuming both at once. Um, so there is a paper that showed that essentially creatine reduces muscle relaxation time and caffeine increases it. Mm. Um, and what they were trying to do is figure out if you take both at the same time. So if you take high doses of caffeine during a creatine loading phase, does the creatine still work? Um, and their initial study said the, the muscle still takes up the creatine, but you don't actually get a performance benefit. Um, and so they think that it was actually altering they, they think relaxation time was an important piece of that puzzle. Now, I talked to the guy who basically invented creatine about this. So Roger Harris is a legendary biochemist who basically was the first person to start studying creatine and was also the first person to start studying beta alanine. So like on the very tiny list of supplements that matter at all, like he's got two of those boxes checked off yeah. as like a huge contributor to making those things exist. Now, Roger is of the opinion, I, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my interpretation of the discussion was he thinks that when you take loading doses of creatine and, re, you know, ergogenic doses of caffeine, which are usually, you know, 300 plus milligrams for some people, that it basically just upsets your stomach. So <laughs> he basically, so like he did a study that they didn't publish. It was just like an abstract, but he was like, oh, yeah, like we did the whole creatine plus caffeine thing. We also found that the creatine didn't improve performance, but we think it's just because everybody had a bellyache when they were trying to perform, uh, which, as everyone knows, uh, it's hard to perform your best when you feel terrible. So there's been like four studies on it. So there's there's not a ton to go off of. Um, but if someone were to say, hey, I heard that they interact, there's there's definitely evidence that supports that. And, and so it's not like some crazy crackpot theory. If you're really concerned about it and you refuse to let go of either, what you can try to do is just separate your daily creatine dose from your daily caffeine dose. So take your creatine post-workout or later in the day, take your, your caffeine before you exercise. And that, that I would speculate that if there is a difference, that should probably, or if there is an interaction, that's probably your best bet for getting around it. The other solution would be only take caffeine when you really, really need the boost and just stick with the creatine. Anecdotally, that's exactly what I do is I actually drink black coffee pre-workout now. I don't even use the, the, su the supplements anymore. And then I've always used creatine monohydrate post-workout. I stay on it. So here's actually further with that question. Let's say caffeine's not in the picture. You will hear people say, oh, you should use creatine pre-workout. You should use creatine intra-workout. You should use creatine post-workout. Is there actually a definitive answer or does it matter? 
So for me, that question is one that yields extremely diminishing returns because creatine, no matter when you take it, if you just take five grams of monohydrate dissolved into some kind of solution, uh, it's going to absorb. Like creatine absorption is not a problem. Now, here's the thing, though. There have been a couple studies that directly compare giving creatine before the workout and creatine after the workout. Um, You know, you're either in one group or the other. Those studies appear to suggest that there might be a very, very, very slight benefit to giving it after the workout. So if you wanted to absolutely maximize its efficacy right now, you could say, well, there's some research saying go with after the workout. But if that's terribly inconvenient, I wouldn't lose a lot of sleep over it. And you wouldn't because you you'd stop. You wouldn't have 300 milligrams of caffeine in your late night workout. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Bad, bad idea there. You basically just trashed like all the pre-workouts. <laughs> well, uh, so when, when people say that, I say, well, I tell you what, take the pre-workout. If it doesn't upset your stomach, mm-hmm. there's one of the two hypotheses kind of out the window for you. Um, really, I hope more people do studies on it. Um, I, I did my best. We did, you know, we looked into it, we did a study, but that brings the total up to like four that are actually relevant to the question. So yeah. Like I said, at this point, it's like just like a, a habit. And sometimes my like, workouts are worse because of that. Like it's, it's hilarious that you say that. Like I, and I know intuitively, but it's just like, it's doing more harm to good half the time. Well, it's also the question is like, you know, like things like the old uh, super pump or as like yeah. people call it super dump. <laughs> it's You take your super pump Gaspari stuff. And then of course you have to do your pregame shit uh, before you get to the, get to your workout. So to what effect is that, to, to what is that attributable to, caffeine causing you to take a shit or is that the upset stomach so that's an interesting question too and then is the performance just because like you 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 were told it was gonna work like my bro said super pumps gonna work and then my bench went up by 10 pounds that workout you know what i mean like it's kind of does it really matter though my my, yeah my first introduction to supplementation was just some dude on my football team started taking the the original formula no explode yeah that's mine too (laughs) but that's like exact experience he got like strong as hell. <laughs> like, like it was, uh, it was the placebo effect for sure. Yeah, but it was a damn strong placebo effect. I mean, like he really believed it, and he absolutely blew up. And so, like the first year of me knowing supplements exist, I was convinced that creatine was like <laughs> one of the more potent anabolics you could obtain because I watched this person blow up before my very eyes. But it was just because he actually pardon my language, gave a shit now. <laughs> like yeah. He just started well, trying and believed. Yeah, and so there's several things you could attribute that to. One is beginner gains. Let's just say that that was kind of the first time you really got serious about weightlifting. And, I mean, f- fuck, the first time I ever really got serious about weightlifting at 24 years of age, uh, I put on about 40 pounds of lean muscle mass in seven months, and that's drug-free. So that, 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 that's a pretty powerful effect just on its own. And then maybe was the guy actually dabbling in some extra shit beyond the NO explode? Who knows? You know, my man, I, I was you cold, can't always assume that that's I, not a fair I thing was to cold, do, but I was called creatine Dean in high school. Cause I took no explode. It was like one of those things like he's taking no explode. Like it is, but it really, I just gave a shit. I worked out harder. And I remember my mom saying like, you know, like I don't, approve of you taking creatine <laughs> holy shit i'm like mom and this is when the internet was still in its infancy i like pulled like research on it 
And she's like, no, like, I've heard about it. Like, that's why you're getting so big. And really, it's just placebo, and I ate more, and I worked out probably like six days a week. There you go. Better nutrition plays in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think what happened was, and like, there are ingredients in NO Explode that are effective, right? I mean, yeah. from going from not on creatine to on creatine. There you go. That's good. Um, his, but like his magnitude of, of progress was far exceeded any combination of ingredients in any supplement on the market. It was just, he started training really, really hard, started eating better. Um, but yeah, we were all convinced like, wow, whatever this perfect mixture of ingredients is like, that's what it is. And my, my close buddy on the football team got a protein beverage and it had some creatine in it. Um, and I remember kind of taking him aside and saying, dude, first of all, that's really dangerous and I'm worried about you. But second of all, I'm just disappointed you know? because <laughs> uh, that's how, you know, 15 year old Eric viewed creatine. And now uh, years later, I, I have a slightly different approach to it. You didn't get those gains is what pretty much happened. <laughs> what protein would it that had creatine in it? Uh, there, there was a bunch of like low tier proteins back in the day that yeah. would would put just a little bit of creatine monohydrate in it to sweeten the deal. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, they might have just been amino spiking or like yeah. nitrogen spiking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I it, he like old, didn't even know it was in there. I miss the good old days. Well, there's actually a good good question there too because some of our listeners might not know what nitrogen spiking is. And this probably came out a few years ago where several of the prominent. Uh, uh, supplement companies were found to be doing what was called nitrogen spiking, where they were, I'll, I'll let you explain it because you're going to be able to do it more eloquently, but they were basically misleading the effective amount of protein that was contained within their supplements. So what was going on there? And is it still happening? Yeah. So um, this is something if you do, if you're able to come to the Inland Empire Fitness Conference in Spokane in April, not mm-hmm. August. Yeah, if April, you show up in April. August, you'll miss it. Yeah, Tim will be upset. Um, but in my talk, I'll, I'll talk about nitrogen spiking or amino spiking uh, in more detail. But basically, okay. you know, whey, whey itself as a raw material, whey protein, is, is not particularly cheap. And so as the price was drifting upward a little bit, it, it became pretty common in the supplement industry to basically underdose the whey the way that was actually in these kind of whey protein products a little bit. And to check the protein content, a very cheap, superficial way to do it was just based on the nitrogen content. Um, And so what they were thinking is like, well, we'll just put a little bit less actual whey protein in and we'll put a little more of some other source of nitrogen. So just kind of some cheap amino acid that it's not going to do you any harm, uh, but it'll basically just make it look like there's enough nitrogen to, to kind of match with how much protein we're claiming to give. Um, so that became apparently a fairly widespread practice. People started pick up on it. I think one of the key things was like, you look at the raw cost of just weight itself and you look at the cost of a product on the shelves and you're like, either you're like willfully losing money on this or something's not matching up here. And so People, people got wise to it and people uh, started testing products in a more sophisticated manner to actually look at how much protein is getting provided. A lot of brands were undershooting it uh, by a pretty substantial amount. I believe that the industry has kind of corrected that with some self-policing, but I also generally advise people when you're looking at the label of a protein product, 
my, my personal um, approach to it is if I see a bunch of cheap, um, like free form amino acids listed in the ingredient list, um, I usually shy away from it. Um, so it, when you, when you're not just looking at like some proteins will say, Hey, here's the amino acid profile of whey protein. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking down in the actual ingredients list where they start talking about what sweeteners they put in and all that. If they're loading in a bunch of other cheap amino acids, I usually shy away from it. Sweet. That's I like perfect. this like avenue. And I think one of the things we wanted to talk about was just like, I guess, hype supplements. And we're talking about protein and being, well, some of them are being overhyped. But what are some of the most overhyped supplements that come along and, and what causes the overpromise? Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is often overhyped, uh, one class of products are fat burners. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about the old muscle magazines and like yeah. the advertisement that shows like a bodybuilder and it's like, Oh, he took some creatine and now he's huge. Another thing they'll do is they'll like show someone before like a bodybuilding contest prep and then after and say, yeah, here's the caffeine supplement he took as if it had anything to do with the fact that he just dieted for like 20 weeks. Um, so I think fat burners often overstate what they really have the capacity to do. I think a lot of the fat burners on the market essentially don't yield much beyond their caffeine content, but they cost a lot more than caffeine does. Um, and there are some ingredients historically that have worked with fat burning, but a lot of times the, the side effects really don't justify their use. You know, the, um, there's a lot of secondary health complications associated with ephedrine back in the day when those were in a lot of products. Um, and then Yohimbine, a, a lot of people report side effects with that as well. So when I look at fat burners, I, I view them on a spectrum where on one side, they're just not very effective. And then on the other side, some of them actually do kind of work, but carry some harm with them or at least risk of harm. So there, there's not really a product in that spectrum that I, I like, um, branch chain amino acids. I, I, there are some very select instances where they could be, uh, you could make a justific a justification for using them, yeah, but you have sale. to work pretty hard. They're on sale. That's my, if it's on sale for like 50% off, I'm like, ah, it's cheaper protein. The source. way that I explain and understand BCAAs is if you are optimizing your protein intake, then BCAs will have no additional benefit beyond that. If you are not optimizing your protein intake, the better solution is to just optimize your protein intake. It's also going to be cheaper. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, usually the the select instances where people will say, hey, here's a, a really good application for branched-chain amino acids. In those cases, really all you're doing is using the leucine from it. Yeah. And, and the others just happen to be there. Yeah. Um, that'd be for vegans, right? Like to get the leucine threshold or whatever? Yeah, I, I could see it for, for certain... Um, certain vegan and vegetarian diets that lack yeah. branched chain amino acid content. There's also some research talking about leucine supplementation between meals that I don't think it's a huge benefit, but it's justifiable based on the evidence. And I think that's a kind of an overarching point with supplements is like what claims are completely unjustified, yeah. what claims are justified, but don't really matter that much. And then, you know, what actually is some useful stuff. Um, another one, a, a couple that are overhyped, um, glutamine, they always push glutamine mm -hmm. as like, you know, it's, 
when your body's going through extreme stresses and there's a lot of substantial protein or like tissue breakdown or protein degradation, our need for glutamine is increased. But that's based on research in like severe burns. Like it, it is like catastrophic uh, protein breakdown. It, it is not like, oh, I, I knew that sixth set of squats was going to be too much. So now I'm, I'm, I need glutamine. It's like, no, man, like I, I fell from like a third story window or I just got like 70, 70% burn coverage on my body. Like it's severe stuff, man. But then it'd be um, good. What's that? I was like, then it'd be good. Then you yeah, have, sure. Then you like have yeah, massively bigger problems. Yeah, if you're like in the hospital, sometimes dietitians will like add glutamine to your like tube feeding, like because you've subs- <laughs> you've sustained that kind of tissue damage. But it's not like uh, I, I added a little cardio into the routine. Might need a little glutamine boost. I, I went through the glutamine um, phase. I did, and mixed it with orange juice. Was the big one when yeah. I was like fifteen. <laughs> I mean, we've all gone through all the phases, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think HMB is overhyped mm-hmm. as well. I was going to um, mention the HMB study that like gave like better than steroids like results when it first came out. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm trying to be diplomatic and be a responsible adult. Um, so with HMB, there's a lot of studies. Very few of them show, you know, super surprising (laughs) positive results. Um, Most of them show a supplement that for the general person isn't really that helpful and only becomes helpful in very specific circumstances where we expect um, basically atrophy of muscle. So there there are some clinical applications or, you know, there, there have been positive studies with HMB in like aging or disuse atrophy from like bed rest or things like that. Um, but but I, I think uh, the applications when it comes to a super healthy person eating plenty of protein and training hard, uh, I, I don't see a similar level of, of hype. L-carnitine is a fat burner. L-carnitine. Uh, so... No, uh, <laughs> Good. It's, it's overhyped. What did uh, that phase do? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the short answer. So the <clears throat> thing that's tricky is that carnitine absolutely is involved in transporting um, kind of the products of fat breakdown so we can actually metabolize them for energy. So if you just simply do not have carnitine in your body, you're not going to metabolize fat or burn fat effectively. Um, but if you're in that scenario, it's because you have a, a definitely diagnosed, definitely severe metabolic condition. You know, I mean, like a carnitine deficiency is very apparent and it's diagnosed early in your life and a little carnitine sup is, is not going to do it. All right. So, so what? Yeah. Only <clears throat> take glutamine if you have burns. <laughs> L-carnitine, you probably, you're fucked if you need it. Crete, no, yeah, okay. Those so, are the big takeaways. Obviously, like... HMB is bullshit. We don't want to just combine this to, like, our hardcore muscle building stuff, but even, like, you know, everyday applications. So what is the stuff that actually works in, you know, again, both both muscle building, certainly, because we've already talked about creatine a lot, and that one really does. And for everyday people, I'm thinking things like omegas. I'm thinking things like multivitamins, if you want to tackle that stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so protein... I, I think I, I don't put protein in the overhyped category. I put the 
protein in a conditionally useful uh, kind of category. Basically, if your diet is not providing sufficient high-quality protein, a protein supplement is a very effective way, a very convenient way to make that happen. Um, I also put fish oil and multivitamins um, in that category. So if you're a person that happens to eat uh, a reasonably high amount of you know, seafood and fish, like fatty fish, you probably don't need a fish oil supplement. Um, but if you're like me and you basically never eat fish, um, a fish oil supplement can be a great way to get omega-3 fatty acids in your diet. Usually omega-6s, we don't have to work hard to, to get them in our diet. They're kind of everywhere, especially in the Western diet. So um, I, I think fish oil supplements are, are excellent, especially for people who, again, just don't happen to eat those in their diet. Um, multivitamins are, are the third supplement that I put in that category. Theoretically, well, I mean, ideally, you are eating a well-balanced diet. As the dietitians say, your plate is colorful. Um, you got a whole bunch of vegetables in there and all the other stuff and grains, and you're not limiting whole food groups. Um, if that's your situation, you probably don't need a multivitamin, you know. And a lot of times you'll see these um, you'll see these epidemiological studies where they follow a huge, huge cohort of people, and they say, "Bad news, you know, multivitamins don't make you live longer, or they don't prevent heart attacks, or whatever." And I'm like, did you think it would? Like, I, I don't really see that as being the, you know, like in, in a in an affluent culture where there's not rampant malnutrition, I wouldn't expect to see a really tangible change in like life expectancy. Um, the way I view a multivitamin fitting into your diet is you simply aren't covering all your bases nutritionally. And it's like a, a little insurance policy to make sure that you're not going to become deficient in any particular vitamin or mineral. So I, I don't see that as likely, you know, if you have a severe uh, vitamin or mineral deficiency, yeah, it's going to have a huge benefit. I don't think most people are there. But for the little like kind of sub subclinical deficiencies that don't shorten our life, but just generally make us feel kind of terrible, I think that's where a multivitamin fits in. So um, now moving on to performance stuff. Um, we've talked about creatine. Creatine has by far the strongest track record of any performance-related supplement. Um, it is the gold standard. Whenever a, a new promising supplement comes along, we always say, is this the next creatine? And so far, the answer has always been no. Um, so creatine is kind of in a league of its own for performance supplements in the strength and kind of physique world. Caffeine has research showing benefits for both endurance exercise and strength and power tasks. So caffeine is, it's no creatine, but it still has plenty of positive data. The only thing that's tricky with caffeine is that it seems to vary a lot between individuals. So depending on basically your genetic predisposition for caffeine metabolism, whether you metabolize it quickly or more slowly, that dictates not only your long-term health consequences of habitual high caffeine intake, but also your short-term performance benefits as well. There, At least that's what emerging research shows. Are there non-responders to creatine? Absolutely, yeah. So creatine works by essentially filling up your muscle storage of creatine so that it can do its thing during exercise. And some amount of people in, in the world are, are, are non-responders because they already have a ton of creatine in their muscle. Basically, they're, they got lucky and they were just born with 
completely topped off creatine storage. How many people are like that? Uh, I think I think generally people estimate around 20 to 30 percent. But the thing that's tricky is those are typically based on very small samples, uh, the studies that are used to pr to um, provide that number. So ideally, you'd like a huge study where you get a really representative sample of the entire population. And you would either do like a muscle biopsy or some pretty sophisticated um, magnetic resonance spectroscopy and look at muscle creatine. I have to say those words very slowly <laughs> for my own benefit. Um, but you, you would look at inter intramuscular creatine storage, but it's either expensive or invasive. And that study, as far as I know, is, is not there yet. Um, but basically, yes, and it's it's not a negligible amount of people. It, it's a it's a decent chunk. But again, there's really no side effects associated with creatine, so it's not like a non-responder is going to take it and then all of a sudden it's going to cause a whole bunch of issues. I think as as I understand it, and you're the expert, that's why you're here. There's really nothing that's ever been demonstrated to be a problem with creatine intake, and I think it's one of the most well-researched supplements that exists. Yeah, so it is incredibly well researched. There are only a few things that ever even get brought up. Um, some people say that because creatine stores water, that it might like dehydrate you. That's unfounded, not true. Um, a lot of times people worry about kidney function because uh, creatinine tests are often used to assess kidney function. So creatinine is a breakdown product of creatine. And if you're not taking creatine and your creatinine is high, sometimes that's an indicator that your kidney's not functioning well. Um, but if you are taking creatine, absolutely, your creatinine is going to be high. And that's just because you took a bunch of it. So basically, a lot of people freak out because that very basic kidney function test comes up looking like they have an issue, when in reality, what you've done is skewed the usefulness of that test. And they work um, out. By yeah. It's a, it's a measure of muscle damage in the body as well. So you get someone who's on creatine who just did a really fucking massive workout. They go in and this happened to a friend of mine. It was sort of a false positive of, uh, of kidney damage. And I'm just like, Hey, did go in having not done a workout for a few days and see what happens. And sure enough, she went back and she was fine. So, so I, I had a buddy that was training like rep for rep with a like world-class bodybuilder <laughs> like world-class and my buddy was not a world-class bodybuilder um and he went to the doctor and the doctor said based on your tests you have a failing liver and a failing <laughs> kidney and you probably recently had a heart attack you know like like everything you could hope to measure was just completely outside of normal ranges and so he ended up he sent me his blood work and I was like, dude, like, I mean, yeah, this is what happens if you beat your body to death, but I'm more concerned about why you're doing this. <laughs> like, like, I'm not worried about your organs. I'm worried about your, your, where your head's at here. Well, he was probably um, creeping up on Rabdo, like if he's doing shit like that, right? Or this... it, I think his, I think Rabdo was just like part of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really, but yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Like he was just consistently beating his body to death. There's also a very funny case study with a creatine, uh, and it, I, it, I, I like found it like very very deep in the literature because somebody had mentioned it, and I like went digging for it because I didn't believe it. 
but somebody explained the study to me and then I found it and confirmed. Um, there was a case study, a person was showed up at the hospital and they said, okay, he has rhabdo and they noticed, oh, he's been taking creatine. This checks out where, you know, obviously the creatine's at fault here for the rhabdo. And then when you read the case study, you find out that he had somewhat recently like had a pretty severe ski accident. Oh, like, shit. like I think he skied into a tree. Um, and then also like very recently had, had a surgery like within days of the rhabdo and like skiing into a tree or getting a surgery are both really good ways to get rhabdo. Um, but they're like, well, probably the creatine. <laughs> so like, I, I really think that's like where that came from. I have a funny story. One of my, a newer client of mine, he's, he's an interesting uh, young man. So he came in super, super deconditioned. I mean, he'd never really lifted weights in his life. He was having some neck and some back problems uh, due to his, his career and the way he bore load. He was, he was on workers' compensation, not being able to continue. So his massage therapist is a, is my massage therapist. So she referred him to me to help him learn to lift weights and put on some muscle. So I show him basic, um, two, two workout, full body workout days. So I train him on, I don't know, maybe it was a Monday and I show him the workout number one. It's a beginner. So you ease him in. I gave him four exercises and three sets a piece. And then I think it was like three days later, once the soreness is worn off because he's pretty sore, I show him full body workout B. Cool. Take him through that. Now, I never realized I needed to explicitly say this to a client. But so the following week, he goes and tries these workouts on his own because I wanted him to be independent. And so the first one, I guess he says goes really well. And after the second one, he's noticing a lot of neck and, and back soreness. He's not feeling so good. So, you know, he goes in and gets checked out the doctor. What he had done is he had gone and taken workout number one and done it. And then in the same day, workout number two and done it. Workout R. Yeah. So he did, he combined his two workouts, separate days into one day. And then on the very next day, he repeated this and did this again. So <laughs> he really fucked himself up really. And I never thought to myself, and of course, we just talked about this at Brian Cron and Marty uh, McPhee on a podcast we recorded this morning, and it'll probably be out the week before this one. Um, you know, you take ownership of shit as a coach and like, this seems like a ridiculous thing, but ultimately I didn't explicitly tell him not to do this. So this is my fault, right? You just don't think that people will come to those conclusions on their own. I mean, did he get rabdo from that? Yeah, or was just, I don't think that's what they said, but I, I have a suspicion he's dead. Like his CK levels would have been shot through the roof doing shit like that. So and you, he was fine afterwards. And for like, the, the rabdo workout. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but oh, so and then yeah. with, with creatine, um, one of the other things people bring up is potentially the acceleration of male pattern baldness really? or, or or hair loss, mm -hmm. and uh, that's all based on basically a single study where they, they did find that creatine uh, over the course of a training program uh, did increase DHT levels in I believe rugby players. And so DHT does play a role in, in male pattern hair loss. And so people kind of look at the, those results and say, well, then, you know, if, if creatine increases DHT and DHT plays a role in hair loss, then, you know, we're going to link the two. Um, I don't think that's a completely absurd um, line of thinking. Uh, but the problem is we just don't have nearly enough research to confidently make that leap. Um, because there's a lot that goes on between, you know, point A and point Z of 
well, now there's some DHT. Does that accelerate the hair loss? There's a lot of stuff that has to happen in between those two points. Um, it's also worth knowing that the DHT was not like clinically elevated. It, it was still within, you know, fairly normal ranges. Um, but if you ever hear it, I always acknowledge, acknowledge this when I talk about creatine because it's, it, it's, there's so many baseless things you hear about supplements. It's important to highlight the things that have at least some basis and say, here, here's where the evidence is on it. You can do what you want with that. There's never been a study showing that creatine causes actual hair loss, but that's kind of the line of thinking people use. Do you know what else increases DHT? Super normal amounts of testosterone supplemented. <laughs> so you wonder if any yes. of that snuck into that study it wasn't uh, wonder accounted if for. I mean, if it's rugby players, maybe like getting hit in the head and fucking with the access. I don't know. Like, would that do anything? Uh, uh, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I think we're way out of our yeah. depth on that one. <laughs> Crease, as long as creatine doesn't cause hair loss, like, I'm good. I would, I would stop there. Um, we brought you on to talk about like lots of shit and we kind of did the, the supplement gauntlet here, but let's talk about like muscle and, uh, more specifically, Andrew likes talking about old school shit, but like 1980s Hollywood with Arnold and similar action stars brought muscle to the mainstream. So like muscle was cool. And then later generation of action heroes basically got less jacked. Twilight. Um, Twilight. Whatever. <laughs> he just wanted to make fun of Twilight, but muscle seems to be swinging back into the mainstream again with guys like Dwayne Johnson and Chris Hemingsworth. Do you think muscle's back? And why do you think we're seeing these shifts lately? Well, there was a period of time where you could essentially judge a movie on two factors. Uh, average lean body mass of the cast. <laughs> and something I call the governor quotient which is basically how many of your actors later became U.S. governors. And by yes. both metrics, Predator is unequivocally the best movie of all time. Um, Jesse got, the Body Ventura. You've got two governors coming out of that. Uh, yeah. Lean body mass off the charts. So basically the way you judge movies is with a, a popcorn scale from one bag of popcorn to five bags. Even the worst movie requires at least one bag of popcorn because it's still a movie, right? You got to have popcorn for it. Um, so Predator is five bags of popcorn. And also I would throw in like two dumbbells for the rating scale just so they can keep their pump between scenes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there was a time there where movies went downhill. You started seeing two and three bag of popcorn type movies, a lot less muscle. And now there's, you know, kind of a resurgence. But seriously, I think I'm not a movie watcher. Um, I watch a lot of TV, but not a lot of movies. I don't know why it's not like intentional, but if I could draw an analogy to, to television, I think TV in the last several years, we've, we've asked more of the people that produce TV content. You know, like if you look at the production quality of television, we just, as the space gets more crowded, we ask them to, I mean, Game of Thrones, every episode has like a movie budget. And it's taken them like two years to make this last season, at least. Which is like, what, um, six or seven episodes? Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, we're, we are asking the entire genre to do more. Um, the acting and the writing gets better and better when you look at shows like Breaking Bad and Peaky Blinders. Like, these yeah. are really, really well done. And that's way different than it was in the 80s and 90s. So I think for a period there with film, I would speculate that we... We're asking film to do more as consumers. So don't give me like a, a big muscled up caricature 
of a character. Give me a multi-dimensional human dynamic character that moves the plot along. That would be my speculation. Um, now, recently we see more muscle kind of finding its way back in the movies. I think one of the things is that superhero movies are mm -hmm. huge, right? Yes. So like the comic book movies that have always been muscle based, like back in the day, they would bring in bodybuilders so that their comic book artists could kind of like see what these ultra muscular physiques should be based on. So as anything comic book related gets more popular, there's more room for that. And when it comes to Dwayne Johnson, the rock, like that guy's just exceptionally talented. Like he's, as far as I can tell, he's good at everything. So however film moves, he's just always going to be there. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess that's my, my perception of rock hasn't been the governor yet though. Oh, he talks like, about politics. He may be the next president. What is he? Yeah. Like it could happen. And then, then, then all his movies would be amped up to like six popcorns and three dumbbells. Yeah, and so like, there's also there's the governor quotient yeah. for films, um, <laughs> but there's also the president quotient, which would make I think Home Alone two is technically the best movie of all time based oh, on that. Shit, because he was he who who was Reagan the, in there? I think Donald Trump had a cameo. Yeah, I think, I think Trump had a cameo. Too. Yeah, I was gonna say like was um, Reagan on screen or something because I know Reagan was a, a Hollywood star. Oh before. yeah, Re oh. yeah, Reagan was an actor. I'd, I'd probably have to look at a long list of of yeah, movies be... featuring. That would be very scientific. Like, I think you'd be the dude to mesh all the types of scales and print them on an Excel sheet and figure out the data. It'd make like, a very interesting research paper. Yeah, on, you would need a whole, basically a whole coding system for yeah. dealing with lean body mass and governors and presidents. And how much the um, generations played into that. Because, like, the nine or the 2000s, the, must, the dumbbell quotient wouldn't be as big. But correct. But yeah. the 80s it would be. So, like, yeah could be a legit list <laughs> yeah you could get very complex with the coding which i i definitely intend to do but uh no i i really should start watching more movies because i get made fun of a lot for not seeing like any of the classics um i i didn't start seeing any of like stanley kubrick's like classics until like a couple years ago and still haven't seen many of them so i'm just like way behind on movies i haven't seen any of the like the new comic book or like Marvel based movies. I haven't seen a single one of them. Uh, you know so I'm sucks? definitely, you know, alone. what sucks is you're going to watch all of them and like, it's kind of different growing up with them because you kind of see them progress, but then they all become the same movie and you're gonna have to watch them all in like a very short sequence of time. And you'll probably won't be able to do it. Watch, no way. watch them in order. Do yourself that favor. Yeah. At least do that. Yeah. I am. I'm highly confused. Cause I never like was, I never did the comic book thing as a kid. And I'm just confused because all these characters seem to be in all of each other's movies, and I have no conceptualization of how that works. Think about it this way. Marvel is actually just one cinematic universe or one comic book universe. Spider-Man, Wolverine, and the Fantastic Four and Punisher all actually live in the same world, and they appear in each other's comic books at times. Oh, okay. Uh, and then Spy uh, sorry, uh, Superman, Wonder Woman... Uh, Batman, they all live in a different world, but they also interact, hence the Justice League. So that's it. There's just two worlds that are based on our world, except the DC use fake city names like Metropolis and Gotham, which they're both New York, let's be honest, <laughs> but uh, they just use the fake ones. And then the Marvel use real city names. Basically, every comic book is based in New York. <laughs>
A fair number of them. Well, it sounds to me like every comic book's based on natural bodybuilding. Yeah. Completely and, fractionated federations with no crossover whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose you could also look at the, the trend in, in wrestling and muscle, and, and it made me think of Dean Somerset being this huge fan of wrestling. Um, I had to stick him in there somewhere. It's our little running joke. We mention him in almost every episode just as a, as a little joke thing. But wrestling and the jackness in and wrestlers has actually gone down. Now, there's a serious explanation for that is because in Hulk Hogan's day and all those guys, you know, uh, Scott Steiner, my sweet mother of God, the amount of muscle on that man. Well, they're eating the their vegetables back then. Yeah, they're, they're taking their, their injectable vegetables back then. So obviously that stuff came out. And now I don't think you're allowed to use steroids in the WWE what? anymore. No, I think it's banned. So Why? you just don't see the same level of like super jacked, like dense muscle with the modern wrestlers as you did with the How old school guys. How can it be guys. banned? Well, because they got a spotlight. Vince McMahon took a bunch of shit for it, and there's a big spotlight on it. So, apparently, you're not allowed to... Well, then you're also not allowed to use steroids in football. <laughs> we know that that's still there. See, that's the stupid thing about us. Like, even when we talk about supplements all this shit, like, everyone knows they were on steroids, and then when they say, oh, Vince McMahon took the... Like, yeah, clearly. <laughs> like, was, is this, like, news? Vince's gas to the gills, or at least he used to be. He's huge. Like, he wasn't, and then he was. The one you got to look at is you got to look at before pictures of Scott Steiner and then when he became big Papa Pump with the chain mail when he was WCW. Yeah. It was terrifying. So Eric is looking yeah. at us like, now, no, no, wrestling? He's, he's like, this is my list of not overhyped. So here's a fun fact that I've never admitted to and will never again. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in elementary school, a very young guy, uh, I had a backpack, like a book bag. And on the back of that backpack was Goldberg. Oh, yeah, his, cool. Yeah, with his traps just, you know, bursting off of his neck. So people knew when I entered elementary school that I was not to be messed with or <laughs> you could potentially get speared uh, in pure Goldberg fashion. I, luckily, I never had to do that. I was going to say, no one would have guessed you would have went to school and got a PhD. Like, that's not very synonymous. Well, I, I didn't Goldberg dude use that like... backpack during my PhD, but I should have. <laughs> you should have. See, then they would have known not to fuck with your science. For a moment there, I thought he was going to tell us that he had a gold dust backpack. Yeah. That, and it, I, if, if anyone's a wrestling fan who knows who gold dust and Goldberg are, if you actually, if you don't, you need to Google it and yeah. you'll get a good chuckle. Uh, if I you know, he, then you get the joke. When he said gold, that's where I thought you were going with, because you didn't want to admit it. Like, I'd admit, I, you should admit on every podcast you had a Goldberg backpack. That's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I love like, Goldberg. It, it was a cool backpack. It was it was not subtle. It was just the entire back of it. It was just a giant picture of him. Oh, it would have uh, been so good menacing. If, if you still had it, and like that was your trademark. What's great about Goldberg is if anyone knows our wrestling history, Goldberg was basically just a shallower character of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Goldberg was WCW and Steve Austin was one of the biggest stars of the WWE. So WCW basically cloned Stone Cold. But instead of like yelling and talking and drinking beers and having a lot of personality, Goldberg pretty much just snarled and made like like just grunting gestures and just annihilated everyone else in the WCW. Right, and, and you know his his main move was not some elaborate no. choreographed. It was just I'm going to uh, tackle you, preferably with my head down. It was a football tackle. And they all played. And they the get NFL. knocked out. It yeah. makes no sense. It worked good in the video games though, because you could just spear shot it. Anyways, that's yeah. He he was not the thinking man's wrestler, but he still played a valuable role. God, he's great. And if you want to see both of them, one of my favorite movies this is going to sound terrible. Is the the remake of The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler. 
Yeah. It, it's a great movie because you pretty much take a, a shit ton of big ex-wrestlers, ex-football players. Bill Romanowski's in there. Stone Cold Steve Austin's in there. Goldberg's fantastic. Any governors? You got a, No. No governors. Oh, wouldn't make that you have an oh. older Burt Reynolds. You have That's Sandler. Four bags of popcorn. There's yeah. no governors. Uh, Jesus, who else is in there? Rob Sch- they They... Dick Rob Schneider in There's there. There's a lot of fucking people in that movie. Uh, they, they, who, who's the, the great Kali, that giant the, the guy from the Green wrestler Mile. in there? Yeah. No. Uh, the guy from the Green Mile was in that too. No, no, no. But they did put Bob Bob Sapp in there, Warren Sapp's brother. So Bob Sapp was like a, a, a MMA wrestler that goes back. But he's enormous. The, the list of like just big, nasty fuckers goes on and on and on in that movie. So it's a lot of fun. But let's actually move this into... <laughs> that, that's fine. We talk about that all day. Um, but I, I thought about it this way. It's like you exist kind of between these two worlds, you know, the evidence-based academic community, which we've clearly shown, and the bodybuilding scene. And traditionally, those two things didn't merge very well. Um, do you feel these two worlds are integrating more and more? Or are we seeing more polarization between this group of rigid evidence-based cult-like minds who won't accept anything outside of like, hey, here's what's published in the study, and some of the more anti-science bodybuilding community. Yeah, so like with your movie question, I was like, I don't really know, but I'll speculate on these trends. Mm-hmm. Um, for this question, I feel very strongly. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's very clear that those worlds are integrating more. Um, you know, compared to five or ten years ago when you think of are there actual bodybuilders that are doing research and contributing to research? Uh, I can name several. And even just a couple years ago, that wasn't the case. There are more bodybuilders getting interested in contributing to research. And there are more researchers who are interested in dealing with anything related to bodybuilding. Um, you know, up until a few years ago, there was not a lot of bodybuilding research. There were a few papers that kind of trickled out between the 80s and like 2010, a few that kind of made their way out. And I think since 2013, there's been a sub, I mean, I don't have numbers, but I, I, it would appear there's been a substantial acceleration of that. Um, and you know, the, the people I know that, that study bodybuilding, they want to talk to bodybuilders. They talk, they, they actually chat with coaches before they design a study and say, Here's how we think we're going to design this study. Do you have any feedback? If you were designing it, would you do it any differently? Is there something we should be measuring that we haven't thought of? And that's how it's supposed to work. You know, um, like I'm really big on the concept of bridging that gap between academics, practitioners and athletes. And so that's why that's one of the reasons why I took the job I took. Um, I think, you know, by working with Greg, working with Stronger by Science, that I, I have some academic training, but I, I can still relate, kind of relay that to the people that actually use it and still relay it, relay the observations of coaches and athletes back to the researchers I still have contact with. So I, I think those worlds are integrating. And I mean, just go into go into a bodybuilding Facebook group or a bodybuilding forum and way more than ever you see people saying, I don't think there's evidence to support that. Here's some actual mm-hmm. research literature supporting my view. That's stuff that, that is getting more and more common. Well, and even as like a consumer, like Greg did it recently, but like went over the the safety squat bar stuff is is as 
kind of more popular stuff is getting researched, people that aren't necessarily scientists want to know that shit because like, oh, there's some merit here because some of these badass dudes are reviewing this stuff. And then it gets it out there and it does connect those worlds because I'm more willing to read that because it's like, oh, yeah, that was a myth. Cool. Let's see what these smart dudes think about it. And they're not dudes that are skinny and in trench coats. You know what I mean? Like, I not it, that that's what it is. But I think it's like, it t- also takes some of the researchers out of the ivory tower. And I'm sure you're probably talking... I, I can think of four individuals when you talk about bodybuilding and research and stuff. And Brad Schoenfeld, obviously, is very influential on the... He's probably the foremost researcher on the body muscle building side of stuff. James Krieger, obviously, who I know you know well, is um, you know doing a lot of really good work there. And I, I think of bodybuilders who are also in the research world or the academic world. And you're talking Lane Norton and Dr. Mike Isertel, right? So And Eric Helms. Yeah. And Eric Helms, yeah. 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 But they make and it even, cool. Uh, there's even a couple others um, that, that I've uh, – there's there's a, a bodybuilder with the last name uh, Chapel or Chappelle. I don't know how he pronounces it out. Uh, I think he's in the UK who's, who's done some stuff on bodybuilding and I believe is a, a competitor as well. Um, th- there's a couple others too. Um, the, the number seems to keep growing and I, I know a lot of bodybuilders who are currently kind of working their way up th- the academic structure trying to get more research training. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's not even, I don't know, it's it's the reason why I like things like mass and and weightology is you kind of distill a lot of the messages out and we can trust where that, like, that process is coming from. Because, like, most average people aren't going to read studies and they're not qualified to, like, they're fucking hard to read. (laughs) Like, Greg came on here and was like, you know what I really want to talk about? P-curves. And everyone's probably like, what the fuck's a P-curve? But, like, that transfer of information, if Greg can have that message in a simple version or kind of what you guys do... At Stronger by Science, that kind of connects those worlds. So I, I really do appreciate that. And I think a lot of people do. And it, it is making it more mainstream. And I think the individuals who take this stuff to the mainstream, I think maybe the person who does some of this the best is Brett Contreras. Because Brett's very interested in the research side of the stuff. And he's a big, strong, jack dude. But he's got one of the best mainstream marketing sort of social media presences out there as well. And this is something that's a common thread with us. Is how can we beat the... The charlatans, we recently had the Science Babe on, uh, Yvette Dontremont, and of course she's taking pot shots at Gwyneth Paltrow, one of her favorite targets, and Gwyneth is a famous actress, and we know that Hollywood, like listening to celebrities is a terrible fucking idea for health advice (laughs) in general, Uh, you know, there's a lot of buzz now about vaccines and, and the problems with measles, and I love that started with celebrities perpetuating myths, so you can complain and and bemoan the fact that you know, all these popular people are getting messages across to more people. Well, moaning about it doesn't change anything, doesn't change the minds of people listening to them. So how can the good people reach the mainstream better? And I, and again, I believe people like Brett Contreras, Sohili, uh, I think Mark Fisher is quite wonderful, Jordan Syed. These types of individuals are probably the great hope for our industry to to breakthrough and, and get more uh, and, more eyes and ears in front of and them. And Eric, if you watch us more fucking movies. <laughs> yes. Um, so I I agree and that, that's one of the things that it's it's hard to come to terms with is like I don't I don't really like want to like demand attention for myself. Yeah. So like the idea of being very active and vocal on social media does not come naturally to me. And as of like a month ago, I started actually like trying to engage more. And it doesn't feel natural because I'm usually of the opinion of like, well, if you don't want <laughs> if you don't want my opinion, then I'll leave you alone. Like, what do I care? Yeah. But I, I do think there's value in, you know, 
if we're going to play this role of bridging that gap and getting good evidence-based information out there, we can't just assume people are going to come to us for it. We have to make ourselves known. We have to try to uh, reach out and make it accessible. And that's another thing I would encourage people to keep in mind because um, I know a lot of people are coming up that are into fitness and getting into science and they are trying to write more evidence-based stuff and that's good. But, and I know a lot of academics that try to cross over to more mainstream writing and fail. The thing that's really big, and if you're trying to get into that space, the thing you need to work on the most is if you're not able to make scientific information accessible, you're basically just writing a subpar academic paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like you writing a super detailed, boring academic paper that doesn't explain it in, in kind of layman's terms is not helpful for the general population just because you published it on a, on a non-academic website. Yeah. What you have to do, basically you've just done a, a non-peer review quality scientific manuscript. That's not as helpful. It's better than nothing, but if you really want to make a dent in that, and one of the things that I think Greg does better than anybody that I'm trying to get better at is take really good, rigorous scientific ideas, but explain them in a super accessible way. If you can do that, that's how we reach out to people. You know what I mean? I agree completely. And I think that that's that whole idea of being a coach or a teacher. And that's kind of where those, those soft skills do transfer over into that crossover. And I don't think a lot of people do that well, like you said. There's a lot of shit where you can read it. It's yeah, it just becomes a, a shittier version of the research, which doesn't help get the message out. Like there's a small, minute portion of the people that can understand that, but that doesn't help. And there's it's often said there are two types of individuals who do good things in our industry, and, and one are the people who are breaking new ground, be it research or innovation when it comes to training and nutrition, and then there are people who are good at taking that high level stuff and then packaging it into a really accessible. Uh, way of say, saying it to the general population. Some people are very good at both. I think Eric Helms is a very good example yeah. of someone who does both well. So these people are important. And, and, you know, fitness professionals listening to this stuff, I mean, a lot of our trainer um, uh, listeners probably aren't in academia or research. So then all of a sudden it becomes on you. Are you good at taking the good knowledge that's out there and delivering it to your clients in a way that it makes sense to them? So that's an important skill to master. Yeah, and, and you can do that. Um, without, you know, you don't need all the formal degrees to make that happen. You know, it just takes a little bit of time. Um, you know, basically you can become self-taught at how to distill really nuanced information into very accessible kind of takeaway points. And the people who do that well tend to be quite successful. So the combination of being, uh, effective communicators and, being proactive about establishing a presence and, and reaching out to people and getting your information out there. That's how we help combat some of the noise. You know, yeah. am I ever going to have a Gwyneth Paltrow following? Absolutely not. Um, that, that'd be fine, but it's just not going to happen. It's not happening. So what we, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even watch movies, let alone am I in movies. So, that's going to be an uphill climb, but, but the more we can try to get good information out there, you know, that's, that's kind of us collectively doing our part. Um, let, let's, let's kind of go on that kind of to the end here where putting out good information and kind of what you're doing, especially with this, um, 
Inland Empire Fitness Conference in Spokane in April, not August. Yeah. Can you kind That's of just, April, but... yeah, and like we've had a few guests that are going to be on that thing, but can you kind of explain your role and, and kind of what your, what package you're bringing for people so that they can kind of find out more about that? Yeah. Um, so Tim Arndt is, is the mastermind. Yeah. Good um, friend of mine. My role. So, yeah. Yeah. He, he's awesome. Uh, he's very good at drinking beer. Yep. Um, <laughs> very good at shuffleboard. I hear. Yep. Yep. Um, but he's kind of put the whole thing together and I can't wait. He's put together a really fun event. Um, it looks like the speaker lineup is excellent. So my role is to be one of those speakers. Um, I'm going to be talking about supplements and it's usually a very popular topic. Um, I just talked about supplements in Chicago in August when it wasn't negative 50 degrees there, which it is today. Um, but you know, at, at that talk, there's just so many questions that come up from the audience. So I try to leave a lot of room in there for it's like every month there's a brand new line of supplement questioning because the, the supplement world moves very quickly, mm-hmm. but I'll basically be talking about supplements. I recommend why they work, not just if they work. So I, I think that's, we need to understand why and how much they work, not just a yes or no kind of thing. I'll I'll also talk about a list of supplements that I think just aren't worth it, either because they're poorly regulated, they have side effects, or they're just too expensive. And then I also talk about skills that consumers can use when they look into buying supplements. Um, Basically, how to be more effective at being a supplement consumer. Um, So hopefully by the end of it, you walk away with understanding how supplements are regulated, which ones are worth your time, and which ones you, you... probably ought to skip does the governor scale fit in there any at any point it, it does not okay. um the governor <laughs> takes that it does not fit Damn into it. that specifically but um I, I really do hope that we'll get to uh we'll get to interact with a lot of people out there in spokane um it, it looks like it's going to be a really fun event it was a blast last year you know chad landers is amazing brad Dieter's amazing uh, I know the guest lineup <clears throat> across the board is really, really good. Tim's a lot of fun. And there's a whole bunch of great guests who come in. And it's one of those things where everybody kind of gets to know everyone. And it ends up being a bit of a party as well. So, And those kind of events are usually pretty good. Uh, I wanted to make sure we got this in before we run out of time because I don't have too much more. Um, we get a lot of PhDs on this podcast. It's just something that keeps happening. And sometimes they recommend textbooks or research. Yes. But we always ask for... Uh, books to recommend. So I was wondering if you had anything really good, noteworthy outside the realm of academia. Yeah. So while I was doing my PhD, I didn't do a lot of outside reading, which was like one of those things you're like, this is a deficit of mine. Like it's something I need to, or a deficiency, but I'll deal with it later. Um, So now I'm trying to get into reading more non-academic stuff or or at least not, you know, Mm totally within my my wheelhouse so greg actually let me borrow a book called sapiens Mm. and the author's last name is harari and he was like i think you might like this and i was i was halfway through and i already decided it's my favorite book i've ever read (laughs) but um it's a basically a a brief adventure through all of human history so there's aspects of biology and evolution forming cultures I mean, huge innovations that kind of push the human species along. And then all of a sudden it gets into like, you know, economic structures and, you know, capitalism and communism. It just covers everything. Religion fits in there. So it's like, I don't know how he did it, 
um, it, it's like less than 400 pages and it literally takes you from start to finish and then speculates about the future of human history. It is extremely good. And whether you're into culture or biology or, or whatever gets you interested, it, it, it checks all those boxes. Did Celtech make an appearance? You know, it was a pretty glaring uh, omission. I don't know how you write the story of human history without talking about creatine. But um, and Arnold, would Arnold make it? He wasn't in it. What? But so I think what? this author. I know. I think this author wrote another book that I haven't read yet. So I'm assuming that the other yeah. book goes a lot more into creatine and Arnold. Yeah. Wait, that's like which one is it? Uh, Deus. Ah. I can't remember his other one. They both look the same on the cover. Yeah, I, I, I you know what? I've been avoiding that book because like a lot of people have mentioned it numerous times, and you just explained it away. I'm like, now I'm interested because I read shit tons of books. So it's on my yeah. Audible. Not my the next one that Greg gave me. I basically just trust him now because I like that one so much. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. The next one he he gave me is called power sex suicide <laughs> it seems and, like it'd be vastly different well okay but wait till you hear the subtitle mitochondria and the meaning of life okay. what so yeah it's about i guess mitochondria and and yeah it's um it it is supposed to tie everything together maybe he's power like trying to say suicide. something like through his book recommendations about your personality or something <laughs> Like he's like leading you on this journey and then at the end he's going to like finally hit you with like what he thinks you need to do. Maybe there's just, it, it's indoctrination by Greg Knuckles. That too. Maybe that's, maybe that's the stronger by science indoctrination. He has like it in the background. He's like, they come on staff, like I'm going to give him this book, this book, this book, make him, and then he's going to give you the Kool-Aid. I guess. I mean, if, if the Kool-Aid <laughs> is as enjoyable as Sapiens was, I'll probably drink it. That's why he started with, that's why he started with that one. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was good. I, I can't wait to read this next one. But um, yeah, I, apparently it, it, the scope of it goes well beyond just like, hey, here's my how mitochondria work. But um, I, I think I like reading stuff that's biologically rooted, but extends beyond that. So I think that's why I enjoyed Sapiens a lot. And I think I'm going to enjoy this next one a lot. Mm. No, cool. cool. All right. Um, we got to let people know where to find them. Yeah, so this is like the last one. We always ask everyone, where's the best place to, to find you and kind of the content you're putting out there online? Well, home base is strongerbyscience.com. So um, articles that I write go there. Um, we are totally like revamping our coaching program. A lot of people don't know that we have a staff of really talented coaches, but we do. Yeah. We offer online coaching for strength athletes, physique athletes, general population. Um, so that's where you can find that stuff. Um, in terms of social media, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Eric Trexler and my Instagram is at Trexler fitness. Um, I'm new to Instagram because I'm repeat PhD. I'm old and grumpy. And so to me, <laughs> Instagram was, was too flashy. It's, it's like what young people do. Um, but I'm getting into it now and I'm getting better with it. So I'm trying to do a lot more on Instagram. Um, so find me there to make me keep using it. He's old and grumpy without that facial hair. You'd look 19. <laughs> you totally I can actually see that. Old, you're as old as you feel. And I just did 10 years of college. So <laughs> I, I, I look 19. I feel 60. And how old um, are you? The real, 
30. The real age is between those. Um, (laughs) I am 27. Yeah, that's about what I would have thought. Yeah, You could could just tell you got out of school because you're like, I don't even know how old I am. (laughs) It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm I'm old enough to not be in school anymore. (laughs) That's awesome. Eric, man, this this has been a treat. Um, I hope anybody listening enjoyed this because obviously we... We don't usually specialize in episodes too, too much, but we really never dove into supplements to this extent. So that was great. And, you know, you're going to do more and more podcasts that they're going to ask you the same routine questions. And what we always try to do is to break from the routine stuff. So hopefully everybody listening, the people who followed you and found us for the first time saw that this was a bit more of a fun and interesting exploration of kind of the stuff you're interested in and stuff you'd like to talk about. And if you have found us for the first time, then um, we've done some episodes with guys like James Krieger and Brad Dieter. Uh, and obviously we've had Greg Knuckles on. So if you check out any of those episodes, you might really decide, hey, these guys actually make a good presentation of a podcast. So maybe you'll uh, stick around and subscribe. Uh, we'd love to have you back in the future. Absolutely. And then uh, for our audience, guys, go check out what Eric is doing, especially if you are interested in knowing more about the supplement and the bodybuilding side of stuff and that uh, the research, because I mean, you just heard him. He knows his shit. So thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Had a good time. Good. Shut up and sit down.